How many is ready for the word of the Lord? Let me hear you now. Come on. We welcome our online audience, wherever you're watching from around the world. We're so glad you've taken time to watch this program. And we hope that you already feel the presence of the Lord. And if you're in our area, we invite you to be our guest. Stop in. It's one thing to experience it online. It's on another level to experience it in person. And we would love for you to come and be our personal guest. Well, today we're going to continue and conclude our summer series we've been in all summer long called DNA. We're learning who God created us to be. How many people are excited that it's football season? Come on now. Anybody excited this football season? I mean, there's nothing like football to bring us all together, right? Amen. Nothing like football to bring communities together in one way or another. Anyway, God, we love you. And you know, I, I know there's one thing that I made a statement that 30 years ago was probably one for my, at that time was the most profound thing, Tom, I think I could do because I was so immature, but I, God was speaking to me and I told God this, because if you don't know, I'm a very passionate person. I, I love my teams very much. And if you're there present, I, I love, I love, I love, love the sport of football. And I told God, I said, God, I'll never cheer louder for my team than I do for you. I'll never praise my team more than I praise you. I'll never be more committed to my team than I will be to you. And it's been this journey where I've learned continually to put God first in my life. If you don't know this, I will tell you this. We are wired to worship. God has created in our DNA this ability and a desire to worship things. I'll tell you what, I love, I love and passionate about my teams. I love the Cowboys. Any Cowboys fans on the front row? There we go. All right. Any Chiefs fans in the house? God bless you. The rest, you guys can just, you need Jesus. Anyway, I love my teams. I'm going to be loud. My, 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 my team, I'm loud. Now, I'll just tell you this. I'll just let you know right now. Next weekend, next Saturday, Missouri State, my son, as he plays there next week, they're going to Stillwater, Oklahoma to take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys there. And I can tell you what, this dad's going to be loud. This lad's going to be proud. I'm, you may have to come and get me out of jail. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I'm that parent. Anyway, it's a fun game. I love it. Very passionate about it. But we are all wired for something. You, you say, well, that's just ridiculous. I can't believe you get so excited about a team. Well, I can spend time with you and find out real quickly where your passion lies as well. What do you worship? It may not be a team, but maybe it's the motorcycle that you really get passionate about. Maybe it's that fishing boat that you really love. Maybe it's the golf course you love playing. Maybe it's the favorite mall you love going to. Maybe it's the, fam the favorite once a year sale that you can't wait to get out and drive 12 hours and stand in line all night long for. What is it you're passionate about? We are passionate about things. We're passionate about concerts. We're passionate about artists. We're passionate about movie stars. We're passionate about all kinds of things. Somewhere God has made it in our wiring of our DNA. We are wired to worship. And so it's up to us to make sure that we don't allow anything to take away worship from the Father. As a Christian, the Bible gives us very clear instructions. We are to have no other idol, no other God before him. That means I can't be more passionate about going to the lake than I am about, about passionate about going to church. I can't be more passionate about going to the Chiefs game than I am about coming to the house of the Lord. 
<laughs> I didn't feel like coming today. Well, if you had season tickets to the Chiefs sitting at the 50-yard line, you'd be up running circles. I don't care how sick you were. You'd be on with your jersey, having your face painted, doing a tomahawk chuck for five hours till you get there. You'd go crazy. Why? Because you're passionate. I'm telling you, we got to have the same kind of passion for worshiping our Savior. I'm telling you, there's no team that ever died for you, but Jesus died for you. No other father gave his son for you other than our father. I'm telling you, we got to let our worship be a part of who we are 24-7. It should be a 24-7 thing where we're learning we are wired to worship, and it's up to me to steward that. It's up to me to make sure I have no other idols coming above my worship. It's up to me to make sure I'm not worshiping any other thing other than God first in my life. And then all those things, they can find their place as long as I'm putting God first. But if I'm putting those things above God, then they become idols to me and they're wrong. So is it wrong? The question is, I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that question. Are you more passionate about those things? Are you more passionate about different things in your life than you are about the Lord? If the answer is yes, then they become idols in your life. And you've got to do the steps necessary to put God back at the top and say, God, I'm going to make sure that you receive 100% of my praise. We're wired for worship. If I can get excited about a team, a boat, a mall, I can get excited about going to the house of the Lord. I can get excited about worshiping the Lord. Look at this definition of worship. Worship is responding to all that God is with all that you are. And that's the journey we're going to be on for the rest of our life. Until God calls us home, we're on a journey learning to worship God, discovering all that he is, and I'm learning to worship him with all that I am. Love God with all of my heart. Love God with all of my mind. Love God with all of my spirit. He, he, he wants me to learn to love him with all that I am. That's what worship is. Worship reframes your fears and reboots your heart. Worship reframes my fears. The things we find myself living in fear. I find myself living in times where I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm fearful about the economy. I'm fearful about the pandemic. I'm fearful about what's going to happen on my job. I'm fearful about what's going to happen with my children. We start living in fear. But the more I spend in worship, it recenters me to, ah, oh, God, you are the strong foundation of my life. God, you've never seen the righteous forsaken or your children begging for bread. God, I understand that, God, you're going to take care of me. You're going to sustain me through any problem we face. And it reframes my fears doesn't allow my fears to control me, and it reboots, refreshes my heart. Listen, we got to turn our phone on and off from time to time, don't we? We got to reboot it. I got to reboot my computer. Why? Because it starts to drag. It starts to act out slow. Things go on, and things that used to be quick now drag out. Why? Because I haven't rebooted in a long time. 
Some of you here, you've been dragging for a while. You've been dragging in your spirit for a while. You've been dragging in your faith for a while. Sometimes you just got to reboot yourself in the presence of the Lord and strip away all the distractions and say, I'm coming back to a heart of worship. It's all about you, God. Forgive me, God, of putting other things ahead of you. Forgive me, God, of praising other things. Forgive me, God, of being consumed with everybody else. God, I'm coming back to it's all about you. That refreshes me, that reframes me, it reboots my heart and my spirit. Let's talk about this recentering thing because worship reminds me that God is bigger than my problem. Worship reminds me there's still light in the middle of the darkness. Worship recenters me on the foundation of my faith. So as we look at the first followers of Jesus, the first New Testament church is starting to explode, and we find in the book of Acts, this is how they worshiped. Acts 2, 46 to 47, and they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Worship is a daily thing. In the New Testament, worship was not just go to the temple once a week and worship. It was we worship in the temple and we worship at home. We worship in the big crowd. We worship in the small crowd. I worship when I'm with a big crowd. I worship when I'm with a small crowd. And I worship even when I'm alone. I worship in the car going to work. I worship in the car coming home from work. I worship when I'm getting up to get ready for school. I worship when I'm getting up doing this. I worship when I'm washing the dishes. I worship when I'm working out. I worship. Why? Because worship keeps me recentered where I need to be. It's an atmosphere. It's a spirit of worship. If you're only worshiping here on Sunday morning, you're missing out. You're not getting a full charge. Some of you are charging your phone up the 10% and then expecting it to last you all week and wondering why your battery keeps going dead. No, you got to fully charge it. you got to charge it every day. Oh, I charge my phone every day. Why can't I charge my heart every day? I charge my computer every day. Why can't I charge my spirit every day? I don't want to run out. God forbid my phone runs out and I can't see who liked my Instagram post. Oh, God. No, I've, I've got to be more. So God, no, more so do I need to reboot and recharge my spirit. I need that more than anything. So how does worship help me? I want you to give you three things today. I want you to write these down. How does worship help me? Number one, worship makes you unshakable. Worship makes you unshakable. I love this story we find where in the book of Acts chapter 16, we'll see the story of Paul and Silas. They were going to plant churches and as they're going through a certain city, they were sharing the gospel. They get arrested, accused of being blasphemous and going against what scripture says. And so they took them to the city and they beat them in front of everybody. I mean, they beat these guys publicly, they flocked them, and then they threw them in jail, and they chained them up, all for doing what God asked them to do, all for going and sharing the gospel. People who are supposed to be God followers are now falsely accusing them of not following God, and now they're beaten publicly. They're not even given a trial. They're saying, you're guilty, beat them, throw them in jail, shackle them. Let's pick it up. How do they respond? 
Then Acts 16, 25 through 26 says, and around the midnight hour. Someone say midnight. Come on, during your darkest hour, can you worship? Around the midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaking to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains fell off of every prisoner. Look what happens here. In the middle of the midnight hour, they worship. Nothing will challenge you more than worshiping through your darkest hour. Nothing will grow your faith more than worshiping anyway through your pain. Nothing will worship will change you more than worshiping through the hardest season of your life. It's there. It's easy to worship when you get that tax refund in. Yeah, come on now. It's easy to worship when the government sends you a big check in the mail. Woo! Hallelujah. But can you worship? when you lose your job? Can you worship when you had to take a pay cut? Can you worship when things are over your head? Can you worship when you get a bad report? Can you worship when you're going through conflict? Can you worship when someone lied about you? Can you worship when you wasn't given a fair trial? Can you worship? It's there, boy, that's where the growth happens. It's there where true worshipers are found because they become unshakable. Worship attaches me to an unshakable God. Worship attaches me to an unshakable God. And if I'm attached to an unshakable God, when things begin to get shook up, come on, son, your neighbor say, I'm all shook up. When things get all shook up, you're going to stay firm in the foundation because you attached yourself to an unshakable God, unmovable God. He is firm in his foundation. He is firm on his promises. He is firm, and I attach myself to him. Look what the psalm says in 112, verses 6 and 7. Surely the righteous, that's us, will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Someone, listen, let's be honest. Let's be real. The struggle is real, right? Let's be honest. It's been a hard 18 months. Everywhere we turn, we get bad news, and we think it's getting better, and we get more bad news. It's hard to listen to the news because everything is just so negative. It's hard to listen to what they're saying because it's so negative all the time. It's always doom and gloom, and we're never going to get better. It's only going to get worse, and it, it just comes, and you know what? Worship recenters me back, and I remember this. You know what? When I worship, I don't have to fear bad news. Why? Because I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God will sustain you through any pandemic. God will sustain you through any ups and downs of a stock market. God will sustain you no matter what. God's children thrive during the tough seasons. It's all in the Bible. It's all there. Those that have attached themselves to God, those people are unshaken. And you don't have to fear the bad news. Worship brings me back to that place. Yes, I'm attaching myself to a big God. He is unshakable. He's unmovable. And so I'm not going to be moved just because I heard a bad report. I don't fear bad news because I'm attached to God. Worship keeps me in that mind frame. Number two, worship gives you compassion. More than ever before, we need compassion. Let me, let me tell you, church, there is a spirit 
of division that is trying to continue to rise up. It used to be race against race. Now it's political party versus political party. And now it's made its way into the church where they're trying to divide the church against each other. We've got to realize that God has called us to live with love and compassion. And we're not allowed a spirit of vision to rise up. We gotta make sure, how do we do that? Keep God first. Keep, keep worship first. Keep myself attached. Worship, it gives me compassion for others around me. Paul and Silas begin to worship. And what happens? They get set free. But not only them, the other guilty people around them who are already chained up, they get set free as well. Time out. The Bible says Paul and Silas were singing and praying. And the others were just listening. They wasn't worshiping. But I want you to see the power of your worship doesn't only set you free. It can set people close to you free as well. Don't, don't overlook that. God has a something. When you begin to worship, God doesn't only set you free. It sets those free around you. It gives you compassion for people. I, I want to be free too. People look at you and say, I want to be free as well. People say, I want to live. How do you walk free? It's worship. It's the heart of worship. Worship not only sets you free, but it sets the other people around us free. And we see this story happening. Now, we'll see the story they're worshiping, they've been falsely accused, they were not even given a trial, they're thrown in jail after being beaten publicly, shackled, they praise the Lord, the earthquake happens, the doors fling open, the chains fall off of them. Now what would you and I do in this, in this instant? Run, right, we would run. Thank you Jesus, I'm out of here, see ya, don't wanna be ya. We just took it as God's sign. We're getting out of this town. We're getting out of this city. We're getting out of this jail. But you see, when you're really worshiping truly to the Lord, something happens. Paul is leading this worship. Then he realized, all right, God, you're up to something. And I have compassion. I have compassion for the rest of the prisoners here. I have compassion for the jailer. Because if they'd have left, that jailer would have been killed. Because if he let those prisoners escape, according to the law of that time, he would have been responsible. Matter of fact, when he saw everything that had happened, he assumed they had left and escaped. And he took out his sword, and he was going to fall on his sword to kill himself, because he knew they were to kill him. And before that happens, they say, hey! Out of the darkness, they cried, hey, we're still here! Can you imagine the surprise? Let's pick it back up, Acts 16, 29, and verse 30. The jailer called for the lights. Are you really there? As he's seen him, he come in and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine this powerful? How powerful is this? The very guard who led them through the streets to be beaten, who beat them publicly and then chained them up and was guarding them, now falls on his knees before them. This is Paul. Silas, tell me, what, what can I do to be saved? Because you could have left. You didn't have to worry about me. I did you wrong. I, false, I represent all those who did you wrong. I mean, yet you stayed and showed compassion so I wouldn't be killed. Instead of escaping and saving yourself, you were worried about me. 
What kind of compassion is that? Sir, I want to serve your God as well. Sir, I want to live for your God. Tell me. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas are like, hey, dude, let's go to your house. Fix us some pancakes. In the middle of the night, they fix him a meal. And he tells the whole family, the prisoner's whole family about Jesus. They tell the story. And his whole family gives their life to Jesus. Talking about being filled with compassion. See, worshiping the Lord doesn't mean I just get mine and get out of town. It's not about me. It's, God, you fill me with compassion. I want to see others. How, God, you give me this power because there's something you want to do. Not just in me, but through me. And it means I've got to show this jailer tonight is the one he's the one he saw the power of God now he's going to see the compassion the mercy of God hey it's getting kind of late they're going to be coming checking soon let's let's get back to the prison so can you imagine this after Paul and Silas lead the whole family to Jesus the same guards like yeah let's get back to prison so they go all back to the prison together get back and they sit back in the prison and the next morning when they show up this guard begins to tell the story what happened? Listen, you're not going to believe this, but as they were praising their God, the whole place shook open. The gates came open. The chains fell off of them. They could have escaped, but instead of escaping, they stuck around and they were worried about me. They were worried about me and my family. And they, they led me and my family to Jesus. And we gave our heart to God. And God showed up in a big way. Wow. Wow, compassion. Worship doesn't just fill me up. It fills me full of God's presence and it fills me full of compassion. Wow. You mean for the guy who beat you? Yeah, for the guy who beat you. You mean for the one who did you wrong? Yes, the one who led you to a prison without even giving you a chance for a trial? Yeah, that guy. We don't think about that part of the story. We just all rejoice. Ah, prison doors flung open. No, something happened through that. Compassion was alive through that. Through the presence of God, God's compassion was there to meet you. Sir, God's compassion is for you today. Ma'am, God's compassion is for you. Even when we feel like we don't deserve it, the more I spend in the presence of God, the more I want to be compassionate to people who are hurting. The more I spend in the presence of God, the more I can forgive those who have done me wrong. The more I spend in the presence of God, the more compassion I want to give away. Worship's just not about building me up and setting me free. It's about filling me full of compassion. People are looking for a church that serves an unshakable God. This generation is looking for a church and a people who are serving an unshakable God. A church is not moved with every news cycle. A church is not moved by every fad. A church is not moved, but full of God and full of compassion. Are you hearing me? They want a church full of God and full of compassion. And one without the other is wrong. But when you take a church full of the Spirit of God and full of the compassion of God, you put it, it's a recipe for revival. It's a recipe to make a generational change. We want to be full of God and full of compassion. Paul and Silas worship right after they had been beaten. 
and shackled. The Holy Spirit gave this to me. And I hope it really speaks to you today. Look at this. They didn't worship to get out. They were worshiping to get through. Sometimes we, we, I'm worshiping to get out of this mess. No, sometimes I'm just worshiping to get through this mess. Because he promised me he would never leave me nor forsake me. And just because I'm in the middle of a tough season doesn't mean God has left me. He will sustain me through every season, through every hardship. He is there with me. He is there with you. He's not wanting just to take you out. He's wanting to bring you through. They were not praising, hoping to get out. They were praising, hoping to get through. Sometimes that's where it gets at. Sometimes you don't know what else to do. Sometimes I don't know where else to turn. I don't know who else to ask. And I just got to worship. Why? Because it's going to get me through. It's going to get me through today. And the next day, it'll get me through that next day. And, it's, and I find myself worshiping to get from day to day. Because worship recenters me, restrains me. It keeps me from being shakable. And number three, the last thing. Worship makes you bold. It makes you bold. When you spend time in the presence of the Lord, it gives you a boldness. Worshiping God makes you fear God more and fear others less. The more I worship God, the more I realize how big he really is. God, you're so much bigger than my problem. God, you're so much bigger than who I am. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. And so the more I worship the Lord, it makes me bold because I am attaching myself to a God who is unshakable. I am attaching to myself to a God who is faithful. I'm attaching myself to a God who sustains me through every single season, good, hard, bad, doesn't make a difference. My God will sustain me and carry me through. It makes me bold. I get bold in the presence of the Lord. I get bold. And we see this in the same story. I think it's great. I love this story. And we see what happens here is that now they're, they're beaten. We're not given a trial. They're shackled up. They praise the Lord. Prison comes open. Shackles fall off. They go to the guard's house. Lead the whole guard's family to Jesus. They come back voluntarily back to prison. The guard now tells everything the next morning to all the city officials, all those who were over this whole thing. and said, listen, you guys arrested the wrong people. God's hands upon them. Even in the praising of God, the whole place came open. And instead of running, they stayed here. And he told the whole story. And they were like, whoops. We, we messed him with the wrong people. And so look at their response. They were like, you guys, just go ahead. Just quietly, just, just go out. Don't make a big deal. Don't, you just leave the city. Don't make a big deal. You guys are free to go. You can leave now. Look what they did in verse 37. But Paul said to the officers, you beat us publicly without even a trial. And even though we are Roman citizens and you threw us into prison and now you want me to go quietly? No. You guys come on down here and you escort us out yourself. I love that. 
I love the boldness there. See, worship gives you a time when you need to stand up. And we don't have to always just fold over. There's a time to stand up for what you believe in. There's a time to stand up for what God is doing in your life. And you can say, listen, you may have mistreated me, but how about you come down and give me an escort outside of town? Yeah, we're going to walk out together. We're going to do this together. I love the boldness here. There's something about spending time in God's presence where you would be weak. Now you find yourself being strong. Find yourself being bold. Declaring the goodness of the Lord for what he was doing before, got him beaten, thrown in prison. Now he's doing the same thing and he's walking right out with the city officials doing the same thing he did when he came into the city. Talking about boldness, God restores the boldness when we spend time worshiping him. Look at this last statement I want to give you. What you choose to worship will have power over your life. Let that sink in today. What you choose to worship will have power over your life. If you choose to worship money, then you'll never get enough of it. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to obtain it, get enough. It's never enough. It's never enough because you're allowing money to have control of your life. If you worship sex, you'll never get enough of it. Always looking for something different. Always looking for someone else. Always looking for something that you cannot feed. If you worship your looks, always looking to get enough likes, always looking to get the best filter, always looking to get the best post, always looking, and as you get older, they start to fade. And then you're in a wreck because you're not what you once was because it's got power over your life. If you're looking for power, if you worship power, you'll never have enough power. You're always going to be looking to get more power and more power. And then you become paranoid of who's trying to take that power away from you. If you worship knowledge, you'll never be smart enough. You've got to never have enough degrees. And then you always feel like you've got to live up to something maybe that you can't even fulfill in your own life. All these things, when we worship these things, we give them power over our life. And they will rob of you. They will consume you. And they will leave you empty. Only one thing will fill your life. And that's learning to worship our triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when you submit and learn to worship him, then you begin to have fulfillment in your life. Then you have the place of being fulfilled. And all those other things will begin to be added to us. All those other things will fall on the line as they need to be. But they no longer have control because I've given control over to God. Sets me free. Makes me bold. I'm unshakable now. Now I can have compassion. The more I worship the Father, the more I put my eyes on Jesus, the more my problems shrink and the bigger He becomes in my life. The more I put my focus on how big God is, my problems begin to get smaller, smaller, and smaller. The more I stare at my problems, they get bigger, bigger, bigger. The more I worship God, the bigger he gets, the bigger he gets, the bigger he gets, the bigger he gets, and the smaller my problems get. Do you understand why he wants us to worship him? He doesn't want you walking around controlled by these small things that he's already taken care of in our life. He's got you. All he wants you to do is recenter and hang on 
God putting you first. God, I'm believing for you first in my life. I want to close with this story. Four or five months ago, I was driving my car and listening to a song called Jaira. We've done it here before. And as I was listening to the song Jaira, I felt the Lord tell me to send this to a high school friend of mine. And I was like, God, I, want, I know you told me to do that, but I haven't talked to this person in 30 years other than maybe a short comment on Facebook, happy birthday or something. No, I, I haven't talked to this person in 30 years and it wasn't even close during high school. So you're asking me to send this person this. And I had read earlier, this person was needing a kidney transplant and she was asking for prayer. She has one son and that son's father had died when he was just a baby. And now she was worried about her life and she was to die that her son who was in high school would be left without any parents. And it was just fear was gripping her life. She reached out and asked for prayer. And so of course I, I reached out and said, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then later that, that next that week, I felt God say, send her this song. I was like, God, I don't, you know, I don't think I'm weird. I don't, we, don't, we don't have a kind of relationship, but I knew God told me to do it. So I sent her the song and said, I was driving today and I feel like God wanted me to send you this song. I hope it blesses you. Now I can be honest with you. I was expecting this long paragraph back. Like, you know, God really used that song to minister to me. And, you know, it was what I needed on the exact time I needed to hear it. Instead, I got back, thank you. Now, not that there was anything wrong with that, but I was expecting a lot more. Like I was, you know, I really stepped out of the box. You know, that, I didn't want to send this person I didn't really have a relationship with this. And for a couple of days, it kind of like, I was like, oh God, I hope I, did the, hope I did the right thing. Of course I did the right thing, you know. Just like you sometimes I doubt when I'm being obedient to God. God I know you told me to do that. I hope it made sense. If not, whatever, I'm just, I did it for you, God. But inside, I was like, I hope she doesn't think I'm weird now or whatever, you know, or trying to stalk her or anything stupid like that. This week, I got a long paragraph from her. Five months later, she said, when you sent me that song, you didn't know it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time I needed to hear it. She said, I can't tell you how much I listened to that song and it ministered to me over and over and over again. And when I was waiting for a transplant and they told me I was, I was on, a, on my deathbed, I was listening to it and I was playing it and God spoke to me so many times during that song. And when I was waiting to go back, they came to God and they found a transplant and I was waiting to go back. I was playing the song when they came, the nurses came and the doctors came to take me back for surgery. I said, hang on a second, I gotta listen. And she was listening to the song and said, they all stood in the room. This is a 10 minute song. And they all listened to the song with tears coming down each one of them. And she says, I was crying. They were crying. The presence of God filled that room. And I left knowing everything was going to be okay. And she goes, I just want to tell you thank you. Because that song meant so much to me during a time when I needed it so much. And number one, I tell you, don't be afraid to do something when God asks you to do something. Even though it feels like it may be kind of silly. You be obedient anyway. And number two, I'm here to tell you, there's power when worship is released in the room. There's power when worship is being released. It brings healing. It brings strength. And even people who don't know what's going on will feel that something's happening. They will feel the presence of God. Worship sets you free. I want you to bow your heads. And as you do, I ask you the question today. Have you given your life to Jesus?
It's the most important question. It all comes down to this right here. Have you given your life, have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus? If you're ready today to make that decision, we're gonna, we won't do anything, I promise you. we we'll single you out. We're not going to do anything to point at you or embarrass you. But I do want to give you a chance to respond. And with every head bowed, eyes closed, if you're ready today to say, I'm ready to surrender my life fully to Jesus, to make him Lord of my life. Can you just raise your hand where you're at? Says to me, Pastor. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, I see those hands going up. You say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Make him Lord of my life today. One more time. If you haven't raised it yet, raise it right now. Let me know it's you. That's you. Thank you. I see that hand. All right, let's say this prayer together. If you raised your hand, I want you to say this prayer after me. As Christians around you, we'll help you as well. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you are the Messiah, God's only son. And from this day forward, I will live for you and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it from your heart, we say welcome to the family of God. Come on now. Give my hand clap.